You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Our guest today is Congresswoman Susan Brooks, and we have our co-host, Danielle Shockey, CEO of Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. We appreciate your time and are very excited. Thank you very much for coming today. Hello, Robert. Hello, Danielle. Really excited to be here with you both. Thanks for having me. I promise not to uh, uh, use the fact that you didn't hire me for a comms job at the district uh, uh, Southern District Office, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, about 12 years ago that I applied for against you. It all worked out very well for you, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Jennifer Hollowell and Greg Ballard and Murray Clark. Yeah, well, yeah. You've, you've done very well. It's been great to follow your career. That's very, very kind. I appreciate it. Thank you. We have talked to a lot of folks on this podcast already, and a lot of the names you know, if not all the names, Mark Miles, Allison Melangdon, David Frick. Uh, just today, we're recording this on Monday, our podcast with Mitch Daniels was posted, and we have more to come. One of the things that we hear a lot, and I want to weave this in with talking a little bit about your bio, where you're from, I know you were born in Fort Wayne, is how immensely proud people are of this city and this state You've worked in the city, you've worked uh, at least tangentially in the Bush administration here in Indianapolis. You you are not from Indianapolis necessarily, but you represent in Congress many parts connected to the city and the state. Talk a little bit about how you feel about Indianapolis and this state. Well, thank you, Robert, uh, for the question. I, I, I was born and raised, I actually born in Auburn, Indiana, but uh, raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, where I was a Girl Scout. And my mom was a troop leader. Um, but I graduated from Homestead High School. Uh, my dad was a founding teacher and football coach at the high school. Went over to Miami of Ohio to undergrad and uh, loved that experience there, but then came back here to Indianapolis for law school. I uh, came to, I, w I wanted to come back in-state for in-state tuition, and <laughs> uh, in part, but also wanted to, you know, be a part of Indiana University. My friends who had gone there to undergrad loved Indiana University, and uh, so I came back and also was excited about coming from the little town of Oxford, Ohio, to the big city of Indianapolis. This was in the early 1980s. And everyone I know who's gone to Miami of Ohio, including Derek Ruddleman, who I'm sure mm -hmm, you know, I do. And say it's an absolutely beautiful place. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous campus. Um, it's uh, all Georgian style, red brick, very traditional um, school. It's been around a couple of hundred years. Uh, great liberal arts school. Um, focuses mostly on undergraduate education, much more so than uh, postgraduate. And it's just, it was a great place to go to school. Loved it. Um, was a poli-sci major and sociology major, uh, was in a sorority, um, was involved in student activities. Uh, it was just a great place to also test some leadership. Um, I was involved in student government and uh, was involved, was, you know, 
president of my dorm and, you know, just got involved, tested my leadership, quite frankly, in college. That's kind of where I had really not done anything, I would say, really leadership related in high school. Uh, And so I did that in college and loved it, but then came back to Indy to go to law school uh, for three years, focused, you know, law school's tough, especially that first year, and uh, but focused for those three years um, and loved the city of Indianapolis, fell in love with the city, um, loved the broad ripple area, loved downtown, you know, a renaissance in many ways was going on in the city of Indianapolis in the 80s, graduated in 1985. Um, and it, it was just a very dynamic place to be. And so I, I got a job here in Indianapolis right out of law school and uh, was at that law firm for 13 years, married my husband in 1986, and uh, actually uh, we got married um, up at St. Matthew's Catholic Church, but then we had our wedding reception down at the IRT in the lobby there at the Indiana Repertory Theater, and my guests, our guests stayed in this hotel where we're sitting here talking at the and Crown Plaza it, Hotel. And it's one of our sponsors, the Crown Plaza Union Station. Uh, thank you, Jim Dora Jr., for letting us to uh, talk to the congresswoman here. It's a beautiful facility. It was the wonderful brand new hotel, and so our guests you know, stayed in the train cars in the brand new hotel rooms and, and loved it, and so we had a downtown wedding, essentially. It was great fun. Well, I'm not going to miss my cue because you mentioned leadership. And before that, you mentioned being in the Girl Scouts. So, Danielle? <laughs> so, And then you also mentioned a sorority. So I'm just curious if there has been an affinity or maybe something you've learned uniquely different when you've had those opportunities in all-girl environments versus, obviously, in locations where you've been a, a leader in dual gender environments. Well, I I did I had a great, you know, Girl Scout um experience and uh, really did all that was the first time I went away to camp went to Camp Logan uh, a few summers I mean it was so it's kind of my first time away from home and so you grow up uh, as a little girl you you know mature a bit when you go off to camp and um, I, I really enjoyed the experience it was great that my mom was you know the leader and uh, and then I was really proud much later on when my daughter wanted to be in Girl Scouts uh, when she was in uh, elementary school at St. Monica. Um, and so I have always very, very much enjoyed my relationships and building relationships with girls and women um, and girlfriends. So from uh, I became in college, uh, I, went, I joined the sorority Alpha Omicron Pi. And my sophomore year in college, uh, ended up being the president of my sorority my senior year in college. But again, you're leading like 100 plus girls trying to get them to all agree, uh, you know, to uh, whether it's on social events, whether it's academic achievements, whether it is sports or other things we might be participating in. It was a great opportunity to be a part of that. Then later on in life, I actually became very active in the Junior League of Indianapolis. Uh, again, um, a you know volunteer, a women's organization that's all about promoting Indianapolis and volunteerism in Indianapolis. And those are some of my very best friends now are the relationships I made um, and the leadership opportunities that I pursued or were given the opportunity to pursue because of you know that focus and. Um, and I think that level of friendship and that level of support that girls and young women provide each other. So I have loved it. It's been a big part of actually my whole life. So now that so much has been said about 
you know, you're leaving behind in D.C. a much more diverse party than when you found it, and in part because of some of the recruitment efforts that you've been a part of to get more women involved, more women to run. Talk about what that feels like, what that looks like for you in the future as you're stepping kind of away from the front lines, Mm -hmm. but how do you see yourself potentially still helping more and more women and girls pursue potentially interests in political life? Well, when I ran for office for the first time in 2012, I actually um, did not step up to run because I was a woman or thought I um, had a leg up because I was a woman. And I didn't fully appreciate until I started running that Indiana hadn't sent a Republican woman to Congress in 50 years. And in fact, we had only had one, a woman named Cecil Harden, who represented Western Indiana. She was from the Crawfordsville area, Putnam County, I believe. And um, Jackie Walorski and I came in at the same time in 2012. Now, we have on the Republican side, um, we had uh, as hot, as many as 23 women Um, We then lost quite a few in this last election cycle, but I was then asked during this cycle to step up and to lead recruitment, and I'm really proud to say that as of right now, almost half of all of the candidates who have come forward to talk to what's called the National Republican Congressional Committee, um, almost half of them are women. And uh, now that doesn't mean they're all going to file, doesn't mean they're all going to run, but I'm thrilled that almost half of all of the potential recruits are women. And they are incredibly diverse women from all different backgrounds. And they're all ages. They're from, you know, younger women in their 20s to, you know, grandmothers in their 70s. I mean, we're talking to all sorts of women who come uh, with an interest in serving their country and in serving their state and community. And, you know, so we just have those very frank discussions with them about what it takes. So I plan on doing a lot more coaching, kind of going back to what my dad was. My dad was a coach. Uh, My mom, in some ways, as a Girl Scout leader, was a coach. And so I think it's time for me at this point in my life to become more of a coach, more of a mentor, more, um, you know, by virtue of the role I've had, you're obviously a role model in some ways, but now I want to be even more active, coaching, encouraging. And I'll tell you, nothing makes me more happy these days than when two women that I've worked with in the last uh, many years just have uh, gone to the state house. Darlene Sherman, um, who an incredible woman who's always been behind the scenes helping candidates, is a new state representative in Indiana, representing the south side of Indy in Johnson County. And now another woman that I've worked with, Ann Vermillion from Grant County, uh, someone that I have known uh, by virtue of this role. Um, She really fought, took on the opioid epidemic up in Grant County, and I've known her for a number of years and really encouraged her to run, and she's going to take Kevin Mahan's place up in the State House. That is giving me such joy and um, satisfaction that I, I know I can still make a difference and will always try and look for women and girls, you know, to encourage them to run. So recently, I think recently, you've been on a special committee to modernize Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at that language associated with that regarding probably just workplace place climate and s- salary and benefits and all the things that come with wanting to take on a role like this. Did any part of that have anything to do with wanting to recruit more women and making it more attractive? Or was it really about for everyone and modernizing Congress? Well, I would say actually for that particular assignment, it's a bipartisan committee. Um, and in order for any of our recommendations to move forward, I think three 
three-fourths of us have to agree to it. And so far, we've had unanimous uh, recommendations on whether it's modernizing the technology that we use. We're looking at the benefits. We're looking at how do we recruit and retain talent on Capitol Hill. Um, We are looking at uh, the quality of life. Um, but we're also looking at how we're interact or how we're interacting with our constituents. How can we do a better job being more transparent with what goes on in Congress? There's so much that technology can do that we know we can do a far better job. But I will tell you, I think the most important piece that we're looking at is how do we improve civility in our discourse in the public sphere. And we need to do a better job with respect to civility in Congress. And we, we've spent, and I'm on a civility subcommittee uh, that I'm really pleased about. And we've just got to get that piece figured out because as leaders in the country, we've got to do better and set the tone. Um, and those are the types of things. So I would say that assignment's more about the institution. It's more about making sure that the House of Representatives going forward um, is a stronger, more effective body than it's been. That's great. Men and women together. And of course, I think we absolutely need more women. We've got an unprecedented number of women in Congress right now, um, but we need to do a far better job on the Republican side of the aisle. You mentioned earlier about practicing law and, and being in Indianapolis. You worked for one of the most innovative leaders in the history of the state, not just the city, and that's Mayor Stephen Goldsmith. As deputy mayor, how did you, first, how did you get recruited? And B, kind of why was that position attractive to you? I was recruited actually by two of my um, very dear friends in the Junior League of Indianapolis who were working for him, and Shane was his chief of staff, or was his outgoing chief of staff. And uh, Deb Norman was his director of parks at the time. Those were two women that I had worked with in the Junior League. And uh, they were helping Steve run the city and come up with you know so many innovative things that the, the city benefited from. At that time, the city was experiencing an unprecedented homicide Uh, problem in the city. Crime was exceptionally high. And so Steve was looking for someone who had a background um, in the criminal justice system, uh, someone who had deep roots in the community. And um, I, I think he was also interested in a female leader at the higher levels of city government because Anne had left uh, John Hall was the other uh, deputy mayor, and uh, Bill Steffen was right. brought in to be chief of staff at that time. And uh, so Steve called me truly somewhat out of the blue um, at the suggestion of Ann and Debs. Um, I uh, visited with him. I had been a criminal defense attorney right. for 13 years. So I had practiced in the courts, both in the juvenile court and in the adult uh, superior courts. And I did have an extensive background um, in understanding and knowing about our crime problems in the issue in the, in the city. And so he brought me in and, uh, and I was deputy mayor focused on public safety, but also uh, what Karen Glaser, my district director, and I were just talking about, because uh, she worked with me in the mayor's office also, Steve very much focused on the root causes of problems. 
and we focused on the juvenile justice system. We focused on child, children's health and welfare issues because he knew that the crime problems stemmed from poverty, stemmed from lack of education, stemmed from problems that kids might you know, experience once they got into the juvenile justice system and then into the criminal justice system. So we really focused on, I think, some. we studied our problems. We started sure. the Indianapolis Violence Reduction Partnership. Ten Point Coalition was started during our time because he very much believed that the faith-based community had a role to play in helping us solve the crime problems, you know, partnering with law enforcement. That was all started when we were there. And I'm really proud of the innovative, you know, solutions that he brought over time. It took a while, but during Mayor Ballard's time, I was one of those people who really celebrated when homicides went lower than 100. That's right. I remember that. Okay. Now it took, <laughs> it took a while. These problems don't solve themselves overnight. They're very difficult problems and complex. And uh, I remember being so excited when we finally were in double digits. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very sad to see that crime again is at a, as high of levels as it is. But um, we, it's not just the police department's problem to solve. Neighborhoods, schools, business leaders, you know, neighbors, as faith leaders, we all, and the police department, all have to work together, you know, to really try and, and turn the tide on crime. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana the Crown Plaza at Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You joined the moment that you stepped foot on the 25th floor of the city-county building, the ranks of people like Jim Morris, Mitch Daniels, Joe Slash, David Frick, the list goes on and on of people who, who worked in the mayor's office and it's almost, that's not fair, it's universally discussed among all of us who have worked in a mayor's office what a blast it is. It's so much fun. There's so much impact. You can make such a tremendous difference just by saying, you know, Mayor, take a look at this real quick. What was that like? And do you feel, as, as these other people whose names I've mentioned, and Ann Shane and Joe Loftus, and the list goes on and on, John Krause, folks... Do you feel the same sort of pride and like, wow, that was a good time. I'm glad I decided to go up there. Not only do I feel that incredible pride that you're talking about, Robert, and I I love that you experienced that as well, as did Karen, um, who's sitting here as well. Um, When I visit with young people, um, and particularly young girls, I talk to a lot of, you know, young women of all ages about my, you know, career in public service. I always say, you know, yes, you're looking and listening to me as a member of Congress. I didn't start here. I started in a mayor's office. And I loved my experience in a mayor's office. And I encourage uh, young people to always think about going and helping in their local mayor's office or their local county commissioner's office or to start at that very grassroots local government level or encourage them to run for council, a city council. I said that's where you can really make a difference faster than you can in Congress. You can see results more tangibly than you often can see in Congress. And you're, you're really helping your neighbors with 
the, their everyday problems. Um, but yet you can also really um, bring in, and I think uh, the mayors uh, that we've had in the city of Indianapolis for so many decades have been so incredible, Republicans and Democrats alike, that we have um, really uh, created a city starting, you know, with leaders like P.E. McAllister, Jim Morris, Senator Luger, um, and others, and and look what we've built, and uh, passing the torch in a very bipartisan way. You know, we know that when uh, you, you know, shut down the (laughs) lights, and I turn the lights off, so to speak, not really. I was there from 1999 to 2000, the Y2K, when we were all worried about were planes going to fall out of the sky? Were the street (laughs) lights going to work? I remember that night, the Y2K, uh, finding Chief Zunk and Assistant Chief Mike Spears out on the the streets of Indianapolis downtown, and we were (laughs) high-fiving at about 1 a.m. From IPD, yes. Yeah, because (laughs) things were all working, and everyone was so pleased. But does everyone remember that that time? And the other thing that happens is is that when you look look at the folks who are, I'm not going to say running the city, that's not fair, but who who are either running large or prominent organizations or have prominent positions in large organizations, whether it's Michael Connor sure. at Lilly, who worked for Bart Peterson, Melina Kennedy at Cummins worked for Bart Peterson, and Hogsett's got some terrific people up there for sure. Thomas Cook, Taylor Schaefer, Jeff Bennett, Angela Smith-Jones. What are they going to be doing in 10 years? Yeah. Because Ballard can look around and go, well, there's my guy, Ryan Vaughn, my former chief of staff who's running the sports corp, my former deputy mayor, Michael Huber, who's running the Greater Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce, Greg Wilson, who was one of my chief diversity appointees, running the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and Robert Vane, his political hack, hanging out with Susan Brooks. So there's success stories all around. Talking about all the wonderful things and people that people have invested, you know, so much of their heart into this city, and you you don't let it go. It stays. And, you know, whether you move away or whether or not you move to another community, um, the the heart and passion for making sure that Indianapolis, Indianapolis is successful, um, because as Steve always taught me, we, we've got to focus on the core of the city and uh, specifically down town so that we people will come there will be much there's so much pride not just for the rest of the city but the state we, you know the Indianapolis being the capital city of our state really has an impact on the entire state of Indiana um, not just you know the suburban counties around uh, the state but all the way up you know to Fort Wayne to Hammond down to Evansville and New Albany I mean people come to this city uh, whether it's for events for family gatherings for art and for you know for so many things we've got to make sure it's a safe community we got to make sure it's an exciting community um, I just finished finished a fabulous visit with Bob Stutz over at Salesforce. And just, you know, they have grown from 1,400 employees just a few years ago to 2,000 employees in this city. And, you know, we've got, in order to continue to attract all of these great companies from either around the globe or grow the incredible companies we have here and keep them here, we've got to make sure this is an awesome, inviting, safe community. And that's what I think everybody who's worked in the mayor's office has that kind of passion to continue and focus on. And one of the people over at Salesforce who's making that happen is someone named Amy Wagner, who I worked with at State Party, but also was very prominent as deputy chief of staff, I believe, for Greg Bauer. And I was just with Amy. She put that meeting together. 
together with Bob and myself. And, um, you know, Amy has an incredibly important role at Salesforce. Terrific. Let me ask you one other question before I turn it back to Danielle, because that's something that came up in the Mitch Daniels podcast that we did. You left the mayor's office. Goldsmith declined to run in 1999 and Bart Peterson became mayor and you went to a law firm and practiced law, but uh, you got pulled back into public service hmm. when you were appointed uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, United States attorney for the Southern district by president George W. Bush. Hmm. How did that come about and how tough of a decision was that for you? Well, I, and by the way, I turned over kind of the keys to my office to Mike O'Connor and then turned over a bit of my portfolio for focusing on crime issues to Melina Kennedy. So when you mentioned them, I, I do think that's very important when there are transitions in local government in particular that you have that, you know, warm handoff. And that's the great um, thing about Indianapolis. People, you know, most, for the biggest part, with some exceptions, Folks, get along. If Melina and Michael Connor walked in this office or, or uh, Jennifer Smith-Simmons or, you know, name a lot of people, if they walked right in, it would be a perfectly fine, warm, fun, engaging conversation. And that's one of the reasons, the secret reason behind our success. I think it is as well. So I, I went to Ice Miller and joined their government affairs group um, for about a year and a half. And then uh, when President Bush if you recall, it took a little while before he was finally declared the winner. Um, and I um, had learned that uh, he was putting together a selection committee for the U.S. attorney. And while I loved my time at Ice Miller, after the, that two years at the city, I had a passion for public service. I loved you know, doing something in the public sector. And so um, I was approached about applying for the U.S. attorney role. And um, I did apply, uh, was chosen by the selection committee to uh, be the nominee. And Senator Luger had put the selection committee. So it's the winning senator of the winning party, rather, that has the selection committee. So I was incredibly honored to be nominated by Senator Luger to be the U.S. attorney. And then I was ultimately confirmed um, it, that takes a long time. It's a long process. But I was ultimately confirmed um, one month after 9-11 because there were no presidentially appointed U.S. attorneys in place on 9-11. The confirmation process just takes that long. And uh, Attorney General Ashcroft was my first boss. Um, and But I will tell you, 9-11 just transformed the way in which U.S. attorneys' offices worked and the way I think the FBI worked. Our mission became not only, you know, protecting uh, life and liberty of the country and, and the rule of law of the country, but it was very much um, about protecting our country against terrorism, not something most of us had really contemplated until 9-11 happened. Now, sense. you maybe had as a member of the military, but uh, in law enforcement, I, we hadn't really viewed that as our number one job, had been fighting crime. But now it was about protection. It was finding the terrorists and protecting, you know, our country against terrorism. Did you happen to know any previous U.S. attorneys for the Southern District? And perhaps she may have been helpful? Well, there are so many. But honestly, Deborah Daniels, um, you know, was an incredibly uh, powerful mentor. I got to know Deb very well when I worked for Steve Goldsmith. She had worked for Steve. 
Um, I also knew Judy Stewart, but not as well. She was my immediate uh, predecessor. But Sarah Evans Barker was a U.S. attorney. John Tinder was a U.S. attorney. Uh, Deborah Daniels, um, you know, then obviously uh, Tim Morrison. What's interesting about Tim, Tim was always the first assistant hired by Deb Daniels, I believe. And he would always step in as an acting U.S. attorney when there would be periods of time where someone hadn't been confirmed. He really was the rock in that office, an, an amazing career prosecutor, had worked for Steve Goldsmith as a deputy prosecutor and then worked as a first, an assistant U.S. attorney. So he was really the rock in that office. Um, actually, someone in the counsel's office for Governor Holcomb, Sharon Jackson, was my counterterrorism prosecutor. Uh, she's now in Governor Holcomb's office as a deputy counsel. Um, you know, And now, and I'm very proud of Josh Minkler, the current U.S. attorney. Um, He was one of my top drug prosecutors during that time. And what I've loved about that position is I had the opportunity to hire amazing people uh, to come in as assistant U.S. attorneys, Um, some of whom, for instance, Aaron Lewis is now general counsel for IU Health. Uh, Doris Pryor is the new magistrate. She's a fairly new magistrate. J.P. Hanlon is a new district court judge. You know, all these young people um, that I, Cynthia Ridgway, who I hired, uh, is is leaving and going to Anthem. I mean, just amazing young people that I had the opportunity to hire and who are now, uh, I love that, watching them go out and, you know, just do amazing things in our community. And there's another fellow who used to be... I'm probably, for, I know I'm forgetting people. <laughs> well, there's another fellow who used to have your job and he has another job so did joe hogsett did joe hogsett he ever came call much, you and yes go, oh no he absolutely no joe absolutely called me he just came much later than i did i left to go uh to ivy tech to be general counsel of ivy tech and i left in 07 and i honestly don't recall exactly when he came in or when he got confirmed um but in 09 or 10 um, and so, no, and Joe and I had known each other through legal circles since I was in law school. And so, no, he absolutely, we talked a couple of times about what the job was, um, you know, what was going on in the office at the time that I left, what kind of work. You know, it's a civil, it over, you're overseeing civil lawyers that handle civil cases as well as lawyers that handle criminal cases. It's an incredible um, opportunity to serve your country in a very different way. Um, and I loved it. Uh, particularly after 9-11 and, you know, my respect for federal law enforcement as well and working hand in hand with local law enforcement just really grew during that time uh, because we knew that federal law enforcement alone wasn't going to keep us safe from terrorism. It had to be that partnership with local law enforcement. So you just chatted a bunch about some amazing people locally. Uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten well, others well, as well. You can send them a note. You never we, should <laughs> name drop, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's it's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's part of the beauty of the show, actually. But I do wonder, and when you're in D.C. and probably traveling the country, how do you pe- help people understand that we're not a flyover state? What do you say that really tries to help them understand that Indiana, Indianapolis, that this is a great place to live and work? Well, one of the um, really amazing things as a member of Congress is um, we often take congressional trips around the globe, different places in the world to uh, whether it is to be ambassadors for our country, or whether it is to learn about innovations and things happening in other countries and what kind of solutions we can bring back to our country. 
Um, I always, and I always appreciate Indiana IEDC. We always call them before I travel to a country to find out which companies or businesses are from that country doing business in Indiana or which companies or uh, Hoosier companies are doing business in that country. So that if I'm meeting with a member of a parliament or if I'm meeting with a business leader um, in another country, I can always name drop an Indiana company. So for instance, when uh, Larry Bouchon and I had the opportunity to travel to Japan, we were the most popular members of that congressional delegation because of the incredible ties that Indiana has, starting back with Governor Orr bringing Toyota to Indiana. And suddenly when we said we were from Indiana, uh, the Japanese people loved us just by virtue of us being from Indiana because so many incredible ties we have here um, to you know various countries. And th- so the amount of foreign investment in Indiana is something that I very much promote and celebrate and talk about. Um, But then even in D.C. uh, and with my colleagues across the country, um, I think it is often talking about what incredibly diverse state we are, Uh, incredibly strong in agriculture and, you know, whether it's name dropping, which companies are huge in ag, to, you know, our life sciences presence in the world. We often have not been as a state, I think, as, uh, you know, we're just, we're humble Hoosiers. We just often don't toot our own horn enough about all of the incredible, um, not just companies, but people and Hoosier hospitality. We do promote Hoosier hospitality, and I always like to talk about that. But, you know, love talking about things like the Indy 500 and around the world. Universities. Around the world, the Indy 500 is pretty universal as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I happen to have recently been in Morocco, and uh, they are about, uh, they're interested in some, you know, racing. And I'm like, well, you need to come to Indianapolis and check out the 500 and, you know, talk about uh, their energy innovation. So, you know, always try and find a way to take uh, a bit of home, uh, you know, to those discussions, whether they're in D.C. or whether they're around the globe. A previous podcast guest was former lieutenant governor and current Ivy Tech president, Sue Elsperman. Yeah, love Sue. I was going to say, how much, how well do you know her? Which Very I just well. got that answer. <laughs> and secondly, you were at Ivy Tech for a while before mm-hmm. you decided to run for Congress. What's your impression of that institution now that has grown leaps and bounds in the last several years under a various leadership and the role it's playing, the void in some ways it's filling in the education of Hoosiers? It's a critically important institution in our state. And I, um, when I was U.S. attorney and uh, was approached about becoming general counsel for the college, um, I uh, really studied it and learned what an incredibly impactful role it was having in our state. Now, this was in 2007, right before the recession was really hitting. So I was there, and under President Tom Snyder's leadership, you know, he came from industry, came from the auto industry to lead that organization, which massively ballooned in our enrollment size because so many adults got laid off, you know, from our heavy manufacturing base in the state. And so many of the people did not have the skills they needed to get back into that workforce. So I was there at a critically important time when we grew like crazy. Um, I, you know, Sue Elsperman, uh, I think, 
you know, I, I haven't um, been, I'm certainly not as knowledgeable about all of the initiatives that, that she has led on, but I know it's it plays such an important role throughout our entire state of not only young people, you know, um, who want to get into college and aren't exactly sure what they might want to do. It is a great place to start with some basic college courses and get things started. It's a great place to go and explore different careers. Um, They have an incredibly important and impactful uh, program with the, you know, construction trades, with the building trades. And, you know, we absolutely need a lot more people, particularly young women, to think about going into the trades or to think about what would be more non-traditional career paths. And I think Ivy Tech uh, or those people um, who have lost their jobs and are trying to retool and get new skills, whether it's IT skills or whether they maybe have decided, oh, I want to go into nursing. I always wanted to do that. Or I want to you know, become a teacher. These are great places to, um, I think, do that at a very affordable price. And um, and what I also love that Ivy Tech focuses on is they focus on young people who maybe, or not young people, people of all ages who didn't finish high school, come back and get that degree and keep going in your career. Uh, people coming out of prison, they, you know, have incredible work working with, you know, people coming out of prison. They've always had an extensive uh, program reaching out to veterans. They have veteran service officers that, or they work with veteran service officers and have in each campus a person that understands veterans benefits and how to plug those in. There are so many good things that Ivy Tech does. And so I hope the community and the business community in particular really support them. Um, and I think Sue is a great leader to combine that business background, the state government background, local government background with the students. Um, I think she's doing a really nice job. I'm proud of her. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza at Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. So you're at Ivy Tech and you get pulled back in again for public service. Being in Congress is no day at the beach, I'm sure. But running for Congress, especially in a contested primary like the one you faced, has got to be even more difficult. Take us through a bit what it was like to decide to run, because there was a prohibitive favorite in your district. We named David McIntosh, who was a former congressman and ran for governor in 2000. It could not have been an easy decision. You made it anyway, and then you won. What was that like? It was um, a truly a, a journey, and uh, I got into you know the toughest kind of election environment I think I could have gotten into because there were so many actually really good candidates in that race. Um, you know, David wasn't the only one. Dr. John McGough was in the race. Mayor Wayne Siebold was in the race. Initially, Congressman Burton was in the race. He then decided to retire. And then there were some others. I mean, there were some incredibly qualified, you know, great people in that race. Um, I was approached about running. And I will say, um, and we've learned this and it's been studied, more often than not, um, women need to be approached to run. Um, And it's been studied, and I'm trying to change that and get women of all ages to realize they they do have 
um, the background and uh, they do have a voice that's needed and they should raise their hands without being asked to run. Although that wasn't me. I, it, it wasn't my idea. I'd love to say it was. It was a couple of guys in the Republican Party, um, you know, Cam Savage and Jay Cahill, actually, um, who approached me about running. The 5th District, had the boundaries had changed. While I had an extensive background in Indianapolis, we had moved to Hamilton County. Uh, Hamilton County had the largest, made up the largest part of the 5th District, population-wise, and they approached me about running. I loved what I was doing at Ivy Tech, and so it was a big decision uh, to leave that that job um, and to go. I went part-time for a while there uh, before ultimately leaving. And But then just reaching out to friends. I called people like Steve Goldsmith for that advice. I called Deborah Daniels. I remember walking around my house, having a list of people I wanted to get their advice um, before I decided to run. Um, and Did anyone tell you not to run? People were very, no, no one said not to run, but people were like, including my husband, uh, who had been very involved. David had been involved in campaigns for 30 plus years, was far more political than I was, far more politically astute than I was. Um, he uh, was, I think, a bit more nervous about it because he thought I was too nice. Um, he thought maybe I didn't have thick enough skin to jump into what could be a pretty uh, tough battle. And primaries are brutal. They're much more difficult than general elections because it's a fight within the family. And there's a lot of Cain and Abel going on in political party primaries on both sides. There absolutely can be. And so I think he thought I uh, maybe just didn't have the toughness that it would take. And um, and so but my kids who were 18 and 21 at the time, uh, Jessica and Connor were so fired up about me running. And they said, yes, mom, time for a new voice, time, do it. They were very excited about me running. I even talked to their friends before I jumped in. Uh, well, I'll speaking never- of not being tough enough, I could just, as I've told you before, I was recruited to do uh, PR and comms for a rival candidate. And my response was, well, that's all well and good, but I can't say bad things about Susan. Oh, well, thank you very, very much, Robert. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, again, going back to, you know, being nice to people, having a friends, even if they were on opposite sides of you, can make a difference. And so we worked incredibly hard. I put together a team. Murray Clark um, was my campaign chair or you know, led the campaign along with uh, – former federal magistrate Sue Shields, who had retired, and she was from Hamilton County. And so uh, we My former boss, Kevin Ober? Yeah, Ober is my, you know, has been my campaign consultant from day one. Um, And I loved, uh, I really didn't know Kevin, but I learned that our parents had grown up together in the same small town of Garrett, Indiana. And so, I mean, just a lot of things came together. um, And we just had a, a great team. And um, we we eked it out by 1%. I had, you know, going back to those uh, girlfriends and women-serving organizations, Junior League of Indianapolis, a lot of women friends that I had made there stepped up, and they were my grassroots volunteers and helped organize uh, volunteers. We had volunteers all across the district, and I, I think we really just kind of outworked them. I think outfriended everybody else. We also did a really amazing job. Lake and Cisco did a great job for us fundraising, helping me learn to become because you know raising funds is about getting your message out there. I learned all about that, and so we had a really um, we had a great team. And I remember uh, sitting across from Ann Delaney on Indiana Week in Review one time talking about a contested primary, and she says, if there's one skirt in the race, that skirt wins. 
That's a direct quote. (laughs) Well, I was pleased that I was the only skirt in the race um, at that time. But, you know, we were ready. And I felt like my experience working, having worked for Steve Goldsmith, working in the city, having worked as U.S. attorney, I was focused and have continued to be focused on national security issues, on jobs and education, you know, some healthcare issues. You know, those are the things that we focused on then. Um, the opioid crisis was really beginning. Um, so I took that background and I felt like my background was, uh, I had a good story to tell. And uh, and I love being an advocate. So won that by 1,010 votes. Um, it was a very exciting election night. Went late into the night before it was called. I kept uh, texting Ober from the it was set, very Channel exciting. Six, going, "Is she going to win? Is she going to win?" I want to be able to say something, and we, he goes, "I don't know." We, we, you know, we had an incredible war room. It was a lot of fun watching the votes come in. We had people calling us with, you know, votes coming in. It was, it was very exciting evening. Put it that way. You mentioned before I turn it over to Danielle one last time. You mentioned about civility and getting along. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had some very nice things to say about you. And we're a fun show who talks about fun things and tries to have a good time doing it. How did you feel when she was so fulsome in her praise of what you'd done? Well, I um, I knew that, you know, a lot of people would really appreciate it. And then there might be some that maybe didn't appreciate it. Um, but she found me on the floor that day uh, that she had spoken at a press conference, apparently. I didn't know. I had announced that I was retiring at the end of this Congress. I had gotten to know her a little bit, not incredibly well, because last Congress, I was co-chair of the Women's Caucus. And so I was the Republican lead. And so she came to a lot of our events. So I got to know her um, a little bit. uh, And she came and and shared with me that she had just spoken at a press conference uh, and had indicated that uh, she says, "I, I hope you like the nice things I said about you. And I said, oh, well, what, you know, I can't wait to read them. Uh, And then they kind of made big news, I guess. Well, Uh, they did. And I remember writing a speech for Murray Clark and we started out, it was for Erling Rogers, who was a longtime um, member of the House of, or excuse me, of the General Assembly here in Indiana. And the opening line was, Erling, I can say nice things that Murray was chairman of the Indiana Republican Party. Erling was a Democrat. And Murray's first sentence was, Erling, I can say really nice things about you or I can say really bad things about you. Which would you prefer? <laughs> right. Well, no, I, you know, I because I've been trying from the time I got there, from the time I started running, that I was going to be bipartisan. I was always going to reach out across the aisle. I was always going to have friends across the aisle. I, we've done it. Um, we've worked hard. It's not just me. It's my staff as well. Um, and so I, you know, the fact that the the current Speaker of the House, now, of course, I'm leading recruitment, so I'm going to try and make sure she's not the Speaker in the next term. Um, but, you know, that's the game I'm in. That's the game of politics we're in. And again, it's about civility and, you know, trying to find ways to do good things for the country. So, um, you know, I have, ad- I admire the fact that uh, she became speaker again after being speaker long ago, losing many cycles, and she was able to convince her caucus to make her speaker again. 
Um, I mean, that is, you know, darn impressive. And we all can learn a lot by how she's kept her team together. Now, I think it's gotten harder for her now that she is speaker. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I'm proud that she had nice things to say about me. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think that um, it's important, uh, whether it's Senator Luer, whether it's the various mayors we've had here in Indianapolis, uh, bipartisanship does matter. And I think it's important we've tried to impress that upon all, whether it's from interns to our staff to our constituents. Um, that's the way we move this country forward. I mean, one thing that's very, before I turn it over to you one last time, is if you were at the, and you were, as I recall, at the Luger Memorial, the tremendous reception and kindness shown to recently defeated Senator Joe Donnelly. People went out of their way in a mostly Republican gathering to say thank you for being there and was mentioned from the podium. That's not lost, nor should it be. Well, and I I worked closely with Senator Luger on some really important legislation, um, and uh, whether it was on opioids or the law enforcement mental health bill that we worked on together, trying to make sure that our law enforcement get the mental health uh, treatment and or services that they often need. We don't talk about what our law enforcement and first responders deal with and see day in and day out. And so we worked on some really important legislation together, and um, I, I think, again, it's a about, you know, relationships and friendships and respecting people doesn't mean you have to agree with them on everything, doesn't mean you have to agree with them on policies, on positions. But I think just being, you know, kind and civil and nice to people means something. And I hope, you know, I think that's what Senator Donnelly was always kind, nice, uh, good person to work with, even though we might not agree on, you know, many things. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, we both loved our state, you know, loved uh, the work we were doing on together and, you know, found really great ways to uh, to work together. So upon it would be hard not to talk about the upcoming retirement yes. in a moment of time of reflection as well as potentially looking ahead. So tell us um, and tell the listeners what is something that you are most proud of in your years as Congresswoman? And if any kind of hints to what we might see from you in the future? Well, when I talk about what I'm most proud of, I think it really has to do with the manner in which uh, my office and we have tried to conduct ourselves in a very difficult environment. Congress is, um, and politics, modern-day politics, uh, can get uh, incredibly uh, rough and tumble and can get uh, pretty um, nasty at times, whether it's from constituents who are calling us or whether it is, you know, threats that people make on occasion. <laughs> it, it can just be a really tough uh, environment. And my team, uh, uh, Megan Savage, my chief of staff, started with Mel Raines, then uh uh, Megan out in D.C., Karen, uh, who's led my efforts here, my deputy chief. Um, we've led an office that have been incredibly respectful, that have been problem solvers, that whether we're solving problems for our local communities, whether we're solving problems for constituents, you know, things like foreign adoptions, veterans issues, uh, social security issues, lost passports, you name it, we get calls on it. And they are very problem oriented, taking care of our constituents and our communities. That's what I'm proudest of. Now, I will tell you, we've had a really great run in getting a lot of legislation passed too. Um, and so while, while I have a lot of pride about that legislation, 
Um, I think at the end of the day, it's how we've treated the people all along the way. Even when people call and yell over the phone or yell at us in person on occasion, we try to, you know, uh, be civil and kind and listen and respectful because they're hurting or they're upset about something. And then it's also so wonderful when we get those notes of thanks for the work that we've done. Uh, so in some ways, it's kind of like, like going back to being a lawyer and having clients and doing individual casework, having, working with those, um, working with people on their problems is probably what I'm proudest of. Um, and then I hope that uh, giving girls uh, and other women the notion uh, that they too, I didn't come from, from a political family, um, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to run for office, giving people the idea that, yes, they too can do this. They too can be a voice. Uh, they too um, can, um, you know, represent their district or their community in a way and just giving them that idea. Um, that's what I think I'm proudest of. And so whether it's, you know, having women that I've mentored and been close to, like Darlene and Ann Vermillion, join the State House. And I want to see a lot more women and girls, you know, step up and run for something. Student council, you know, an organization presidency, um, be a captain of their team, uh, you know, run for your neighborhood association president. That's a really difficult job. Uh, you know, run for, um, you know, run for a city council. Danielle, what are you going to run for, for someday? Come on. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. You know, who knows? We might have started something right here. What do you think, well, Robert? Well, she's got the ultimate enticement in those damn cookies. <laughs> Just <laughs> you know? to stay around, right? No, but, it's you know, a great organization. women who run nonprofits have an incredible background and mm-hmm. p- can be a great voice. I mean, just trying to get, you know, women to run. So that's what I hope to do in the future. Um, I don't have any plans. I've got 16 months left uh, to get some important work done. And uh, I don't have a game plan. I typically don't um, have a game plan. We'll just, you know, see what comes after this. Uh, I don't think I can just, you know, sit back and do nothing, but I want to stay involved in local community in some way. I don't think I'll be running for office again. That's not, um, we've, we've kind of been there, done that, and proud of our service and uh, want to pass it on to the next generation. It's time to pass the baton. We end the podcast with the same five questions to everyone. Danielle is going to ask you these as soon as I pass them over, in case you don't have them memorized. I'm but, getting there. But All right. before we ask the five questions, the question everybody wants asked, what's it like being married to <laughs> Dreamboat David Brooks? <laughs> 33 years this year of, uh, yeah, marital bliss, mostly. Um, you know, as again, because we're here at the Crown Plaza and we got married in 1986, it's fun to come here and do this. I, it's been an amazingly exciting uh, and unpredictable journey. Um, David uh, is a phenomenal lawyer and um, he is a fabulous father. Uh, he has been an awesome, whether it's a soccer dad, whether it. Uh, he, he's a cowboy, for those of you who know. He's awesome uh, horseback rider and loves the outdoors and nature. So it's just always an adventure. There's always an adventure with David. And uh, so he's been an amazing partner. I'm really, really, I couldn't have done this job without him. There's absolutely, and believe it or not, part of the reason I'm ready to retire is eight years of a commuter marriage. I'm kind of ready to come home because I still like the guy. Still like <laughs> hanging out with him, want to spend more time with him um, as we, you know, move into uh, 
even later in midlife, um, want to spend more time with our kids. Our son's teaching up in Anchorage, Alaska. Our daughter lives in Minneapolis. Want to just be more present for, you know, for our kids and our family and our parents. Uh, but he's, uh, he's been awesome. Dream Couldn't boat, do without him. Dreamboat, David, dream is Dreamboat is never, I, you know, dreamboat is a term that didn't come to mind uh, initially, but I kind of like it. I'll tell him uh, that you think he's a dreamboat. So, uh, but he, he's awesome. He makes me laugh. And uh, I think most people who know him know he makes them laugh. And in this, you know, kind of serious world we're in, it's great to have a person that makes you laugh and keeps you humble. He does that. I was going to say something like, behind every great woman is a great man, but it sounds like you walk side by side. Yeah, we, oh, we absolutely do. We absolutely do. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's been an important um, advisor and best friend on this journey. That's and it's amazing. not over. But, well, I hope you have a lot more adventure to come. So, five questions we end every podcast okay. with. What was your first job? My first job was at LS Airs um, in, at Glenbrook Mall, mm. my first real job. Um, I mean, I babysat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did a lot of babysitting. Um, so that's a job, too. Um, and, uh, but my, I think my first real job was at LS Airs, and it was in the customer service department where people with their credit card problems would come. Or we also did gift wrap or layaway. Anyone remember layaway? You know, so uh, it was at LS Airs, and I did work there one summer, and then um, they would hire me back during the Christmas break. Okay. And so I worked there many, you know, college, when I was in college during that Christmas time off. Very good. What was your first concert? My my first concert, that's a great question. Believe it or not, my grandmother gave my sister and I tickets to the Carpenters at the Fort Wayne Coliseum. And so we went to see the Carpenters. And I and my grandmother took us, bless her heart. Um, and uh, but that was my very first concert. Good memory. Yeah. Robert, you laugh. It was a good one. <laughs> No wonder she's you, not running again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, every, often people have like great, but you know what? The Carpenters were a great group back in the day. And with your grandmother. One of the, one of the uh-huh. favorite parts of trivia that we've learned is that Terry Curry, the firm, current uh-huh. Marion County Prosecutor's first concert, and Mitch Daniels's first concert was, was the exact same, same concert. Which one? Do you recall? The Association. Okay. Okay. At Clues Hall. Okay. That's random. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Um, if you could suggest a book for someone else to read, what book would you recommend? Hmm. Um, I finished not too long ago uh, The Voices of Afghanistan. And it is, each chapter is a chapter by a woman in Afghanistan. And what we the United States has done for the women of Afghanistan is uh, is has been so life changing, and um, so I have so much admiration for the men and women who've served in Afghanistan and what we've done for those women and how we've changed the girls and women's lives in Afghanistan. I love that book. I've read it twice, and I've been to Afghanistan twice. And the women in Congress take. Uh, a trip for Mother's Day and go thank the women troops that are serving in Afghanistan. Mm. But we also have developed relationships with Afghan women. And so we're now seeing and visiting with the Afghan women. So I love that book. 
Voices and of a good story. I'm yes. sure our listeners will Incredible. want to pick that up because of that story. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happened, what would that event be? Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, any event in history? Um, oh, my. So many things are going through my mind. Probably Abraham Lincoln and Emancipation Proclamation and times when when Abraham Lincoln gave his most important speeches, I think not only changed our country, but changed the world. And so probably um, something relative to, you know, an, an Abraham Lincoln, although... I have to say that um, I would have loved to have met and or been in the presence and heard speeches from Margaret Thatcher. Those are some tough, amazing people. Um, And, you know, Margaret Thatcher, um, I think, was one of the strongest uh, women in our lifetime and would have loved to have Um, you know, heard her speak. This last question is a little similar. It's about someone who's living today, Mm -hmm. who you could have two hours off the record to have dinner with. Who would that be? Hmm. Boy, I wish you had given me these ahead of time. Um, Only Mitch Daniels got ahead of a time. Oh, I think my office asked. Why didn't, yeah. And, (laughs) you know. I said we end with the same five questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who would I love to have two hours with to talk with? Um, you know, I have and continue to have tremendous admiration for the president I served for uh, or served under President George W. Bush. He served at a time in our country that uh, was incredibly difficult, yet he united our country after 9-11. So I'd love to have dinner with uh, President Bush. Um, and uh, I've met him a couple of occasions, uh, but never, you know, had time. Would love to sit at the ranch, his ranch, sit at his ranch uh, with he and Laura, but really just talk with him about uh, that time and, and how he led our country, which I have so much admiration for. Thank you, Danielle, for co-hosting today. Wonderful as always. And thank you, Congresswoman Susan Brooks. You have always been so incredibly kind to me. And I don't know that I am aware of anyone else in politics, at least from our side, the Republican side, who is more universally liked, admired, uh, looked up to. And we cannot thank you enough for your multiple journeys in public service. And congratulations on being undefeated in politics and enjoy your retirement with David and your family. Thank you, Robert, and thank you, Danielle. It's been an honor to be here, and I so much um, admire that you're trying to that you're telling the story of uh, Hoosiers and the manner in which they've led. And there are so many incredible Hoosiers that are coming behind us, uh, like I said, ready to take up uh, the baton and carry on. And so um, I just hope that they uh, realize what a um, 
what an incredible city this is, what incredible people like you, Robert, and you, Danielle, who are here helping lead the city and, you know, telling the story from the past. But uh, you are the future. And so I look forward to uh, cheering you on. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.